What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Time Off Podcast. I'm your host, BK. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that always has to be doing something. So even when I'm not working, I'm working towards a goal. Growing up, it was sports and training parkour. Then I traded those in for music and more entrepreneurial goals. But I've always had a passion that I pursued in my free time. In this show, we're going to talk to guests who have all different types of interesting hobbies, passion projects, and side hustles that all take place in the 16 hours outside of their 9 to 5. So come join me, and let's see what our next guest does in their time off. What's up, everyone? Today's guest is a senior onboarding specialist at Indeed and a straight-up comedic genius in his time off. His journey began with running, and although his path may have changed, the chase hasn't stopped. It's my pleasure to introduce one of the best manhunt players I've ever come across, a real stand-up guy, and possibly the next Mike Birbiglia, Andrew Gennario. Welcome to the Time Off Podcast, Andrew. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, I was not expecting that. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, for sure. I'm, like, super excited to have you because we see each other often, but it's always a quick interaction. Yeah. I'm excited to sit down and talk for a while. Yeah, this is exciting. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, so let's start out. Talk a little bit about your job, what that entails, and we'll go into the fun stuff. So I work at Indeed.com uh, in client onboarding. And so basically what I do is I work with small businesses who haven't used Indeed before, and I try to get them to or assist them with posting ads on Indeed or kind of going through resume subscriptions, basically to assist them kind of with their hiring needs just so they can be a little bit more self-sufficient on their own and just utilize everything that the website has. Cool. We've used Indeed a couple of times for hiring at the deli and stuff like that. Okay. And I've been on there hundreds of times looking for jobs out of college. So yeah. it's, um, I heard it's a really cool company. It is. So what I like about my specific role is I am not revenue-based. My quota is based off of how many people I get to use Indeed. Mm-hmm but you can also use Indeed for free. So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm shoving like prices in front of anybody. It's just, right. how can we get you to use Indeed? How can we best find a fit for you? So you don't feel like you're being sold. I don't feel like I'm selling. It's just like I'm having a conversation. Right. It's got to be cool to meet different people, talk to people about stuff all the time. Yeah, it is. Um, there are pros and cons to that, you right. know. To anybody, any job. Yeah. Anybody who works directly with a lot of people uh, can tell you that too, Mm -hmm. but it is a lot of fun. You do get a lot of stories. Cool. All right, so let's get into your backstory a little bit. Running. Personally, I've never been a fan of it, Um, but you were pretty fast back in the manhunt days. When did all that start for you? Um, So in high school, I actually played a lot of tennis. Okay. Um, And then I tried out for the tennis team, And then on the side, I was going to track practice to just stay in shape, make sure I was ready if I did get the, to get a spot on the tennis team. Mm -hmm. But then I ended up just enjoying hanging out with the people on the track team more than the tennis team. So I ended up just dropping the tryouts on tennis and went to track. Okay. Um, And I did it for all of high school and college. Nice. Yeah. So what would you say is your like? greatest achievement in running in running like uh, what are you gonna tell your grandkids achievement back is a in the strong day. word back in the day i was the best in the state 
I never got that close. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I don't have a lot of track achievements. Okay. Um, I did run D1, but that was nice. more because they didn't have anybody running my event. Right. But I just enjoyed it. It was a good way to relieve stress. It was a good way to meet people. Back then, I wasn't very confident in myself mm-hmm. and definitely needed better ways to force myself to interact with people. Uh, so that definitely helped me do that and kind of come out of my shell. So I think that was the biggest benefit. I don't know if I'd call it an achievement, okay. but definitely something I would tell people to do. Right. Yeah, I could never get into it. I did track, but I was the thrower. Okay. Yeah, so I threw javelin. Oh, that's a sweet event. It was really cool. It was really fun. In Trinity, we had a very small team, okay. and we didn't have a throwing coach. So literally, my coach handed me a DVD. and was like, here you go. I did it for three, four months, but I actually was like five feet away from making states. Like, really? Surprisingly, I was weirdly good at it. I don't really know why, but it worked. Funny enough, this is going to sound weird, but stay with me. Uh, one of my I'm here, I'm here. closest friends that I made in high school was one of – it was – my track coach or one of the track coaches okay um to the point where he's actually coming to see me on saturday which is really cool like we still stay in touch uh we're hanging out tomorrow uh before thanksgiving so he's got a show that he does so awesome very cool that's cool i mean it's definitely a great way to meet people sports are where i found some of my best friends and best relationships you know yeah agreed so you continued in college you said yeah so I went to Iona College, okay. uh, and I ran track there. I was a sprinter. Sprinter. Yeah. Okay. I'm not about that long distance. Uh, no? Uh, <laughs> not even a little bit. So did you always do sprint? Yeah. So I sprinted the entire time. Uh, main, I did the 100, 200, and 400, um, and then you relays. I mainly did the 400 uh, because freshman year in high school – they were like, they needed a 400 runner, and they said, you should do it. And I didn't know what that was, mm-hmm. and they were, I was like, okay, how long is that? And they go, it's one lap. I was like, I can do that. And I sprinted the entire time. I didn't pace myself at all, which there's argument for both. And I got, I was in first up until the last 100 meters, and then I died out and came in last. Okay. But I stuck with it ever since. There you go. I was always so impressed by student athletes in college. I had the opportunity to play a sport. And I didn't think I had the ability to balance that school, social life. So I was always very impressed by people that were able to do that. Yeah, it is. It does get difficult at times. But once you find your groove, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get into the habit. Right. Luckily, practice for us wasn't until like 1130. Okay. Uh, So I had a good way. I had like an easy way to, if I needed to do things in the morning, I could. If I needed to do it at night, I could. And student athletes also got first pick of their classes to schedule. Oh, nice! Yeah, which was huge. Yeah, because you would you were able to kind of plan out before the semester started points in the day that you can designate to get that stuff done. Right, which is cool. Yeah, I always had a super late schedule. I'm yeah. not I'm not a morning person at all. That's fair. Yeah, so 11:30 that would work for me actually. Yeah, the sport I was going to do was diving, and it was like okay 6 a.m. Yeah, I, that is rough. That is rough for me. And then, like, you stayed there during winter break. You didn't go home. Yeah, so we had to do that, too. Luckily, Iona wasn't very far. Right. It's like 35, 40 minutes. That's so, not bad. Yeah, so if I needed to go to practice and then come back or go to a meet and come back, I could. Yeah. 
That works. Did you do anything else in college? Did you have any other like extracurricular activities? It's funny you ask. So one thing that my dad told me to do when I went to college mm-hmm. was you can keep doing track, but you should do one or two things that you never thought you would do just to broaden your horizons. Right. I go, okay. And so I went really good advice. Yeah. Oh, best advice I've ever gotten. So I put all the clubs from the club fair into a hat and I pulled out two. Oh my God. I pulled out the economics club, which did not last very long. I was very bored. And then I got the Iona players, which is the theater group at Iona. And I went to their first meeting Mm -hmm. and they were talking about all the things they had planned for the year and the auditions for the fall comedy. I was about to leave, and the president of the players at the time, who's actually now my girlfriend's cousin, who's always my girlfriend's cousin, but <laughs> my ne- yeah, she pulled me aside, and she goes, are you going to try out for the, the fall comedy? And I go, no, I don't think so. Crippling stage fright. I don't think I could do any of that. I would never, never want to do that. And she goes, well, you should try. Like, you sh- all you need is a 30-second monologue. And I was like, I don't even know what I would do. She was like, what movies do you like? And I said, well, I love Disney movies. Mm-hmm. She was like, that's perfect. The director loves Disney movies. Do that, and you'll be fine. And so I did the monologue of when the genie comes out of the lamp from Aladdin. Nice. And Do you remember any of it? Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I, I might put you on the spot. I couldn't do the whole thing, but it starts out when he's just like, 10,000 years can give you such a crick in the neck. Uh, <laughs> and he goes through this whole thing. Yeah. And they ended up casting me as, like, the male love interest of, okay. the, of the play. What play was it? It was The Matchmaker. Uh, I don't know if I've heard of it. It's kind of about this this group of people who are falling in love with each It's kind of like a midnight, midsummer night's dream, Okay, but a little bit more goofy, I mm-hmm. guess. But yeah, and then I've started coming out of my shell through that. I met a lot of friends who convinced me to do improv, nice. which I didn't even know what that was at the time. People who don't know what it is or don't know what goes into it, like... That takes a lot of talent. One, you're up on stage in front of people. Two, you're essentially making it up as you go. I mean, there's some planning involved, but yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> um, if I knew what it was, I don't think I would have done it. One of my buddies from th- who did the matchmaker with me had said, yeah, all of, all of our friends are doing it. Just come for the first one if you like it, if you have fun. Have fun. It was just kind of like a practice, and I was hanging out with everybody. That's kind of all it ended up being for the first couple of practices. And then we started doing shows, and my junior year, we ended up getting booked for Homecoming Weekend. Nice. Um, and so we did a show, and we sold out more tickets than we had planned to max out, and we right. caused a fire hazard. Oh like my God. they had to like <laughs> come in and and sweep us out afterwards. But um, it was great. I love doing it. Yeah, improv's awesome. Yeah, that was my first intro to comedy. It's awesome. I used to be obsessed with watching Who's Line. Oh, yeah. That show is so great. The best. Yeah. Uh, they were all hilarious. Oh, yeah. It was basically the cast of the Drew Carey show. Just yeah, right. On stage. Right, just making it up and the props <laughs> and stuff. That was always so funny. Yeah. Did you guys do stuff like that? Yeah, so we did a lot of different games. We tried to have as much audience participation as possible. Right. Uh, that's more fun for kind of everybody involved. There's a lot of people who will do like long form improv. We just kind of did short form, which is like whose line is it anyway? We played I don't know, scenes from a hat is a is one from whose line is yeah. it anyway that everyone tends to know, uh, where they pull things out like it's things you can say about your shoe size, not right. about your girlfriend, and you know right. you would say things like that. But it was just a it was a blast. 
What was your favorite part about it? Ooh, I don't know. Getting on stage when you're terrified to get on stage is such a such an adrenaline rush. Yeah, um, that, I mean that's one of my favorite feelings. Is like you're nervous or anxious or just there's all these emotions like rushing through, and then you get out there and it's just like, do it. Yeah. Perform. Yeah. Because you don't know. It's so easy to bomb. Like it's so and it's so hard to crush it. Right. Um, but when you do, it's just like, oh, feels like you hit a home run. Yeah. You know? It's the best feeling. I mean, I have a different it's a different type of performance doing music, but it's very similar. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I don't think I could ever do I am not musically talented in the <laughs> slightest. So I mean, I would say the toughest part for me is the memorization similar to comedy. Like you're memorizing, you have to have your, make sure your timing's on point, your gestures, like everything yeah. has to be together, wrapped up in this package, presented to people who might not necessarily care. And you, yeah. towards the end or by the end, you have to win them over. Yeah. That's one thing I always say about comedy is if you do bad comedy, you're not doing comedy. Like mm. it's just like, it's a tragedy at that point, right? Right. Like, it's not comedy unless the audience finds it to be comedy, right? Like, if you paint a painting and you it's a bad painting, it's still a painting. But it's not the same with comedy. Um, and that's the most terrifying thing. It's like, here's a comedian. Oh, that's not a comedian. Mm-hmm. That guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. I was just listening to something. Oh, Dax Shepard's podcast. Armchair Experts. I yes. was just listening to the Tony Hale episode on the way oh, here. I was listening to uh, Seth Rogen's episode. Okay. And he said with film and with comedies versus dramas, in a drama, you can do some camera tricks, zoom in on a still face, put some music behind it, and it's dramatic. You can almost tell the audience what to think. Yeah. With comedy, like, the joke has to hit. You can't use camera tricks. You can't use all that stuff to make people laugh or think about a joke. No. Right. It really needs to land. Yeah. That was just a cool... Kind of just what you're saying, how... Yeah, and that is, it's, I try to make sure that when I'm doing a set, it flows. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of com- comedy, you'll see people will tell a joke, no segue, tell another joke. And that's good. You can do that. Mm-hmm. It's just, you lose so much momentum that way, right. I feel like. It's just, like, you're changing the subject. And people like Some people that, like, are actively thinking it, but they... They get a small sense of, oh, how do we get here? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just kind of flow with your jokes and, and make it sound like you're just having a conversation with the audience, it tends to work a lot better. Right. The more personal it is. Yeah. That's like been, they want to feel like they're a part of it. Exactly. That's what I've been doing. So the past three shows I did, that's what I've been doing. And they've all been really good. They've all gone really well. Awesome. Yeah. I was in the um, Connecticut's Got Talent Okay. this summer, and um, they had a comedy section as well. Really? So there were, I want to say, probably six to eight amateur comedians. Okay. Ranging from, like, eight years old to 50-year-olds. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was very cool. And it was interesting to see that, like, people just, I'm going to just compile all my funniest jokes. Yeah. And then see the people who had, like, a show that flowed and kind of had a starting point and then an ending point that brought everything together. Okay, yeah. You know, like they start with some sort of joke, 
And then they hit you with that line at the end that ties it all up. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever, if you've listened to Mike Birbiglia at all or have, his I have some. So the reason I like him so much is one thing he tends to do is his specials on Netflix are, they're these really, really long stories. Mm-hmm. Like the whole special, the whole hour special is one story. Okay. So the his latest one, and I have no sponsor to this. It just came out today, though, ironically. <laughs> uh, it's the new one. The new one. The name of the special. And the whole story is about how he didn't want to have kids. Okay. Um, and how he now has a kid. But through the entire... That would be fun for his kid to listen to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and through the whole story, there are smaller stories that relate to the bigger picture. And he just kind of weaves in and out of these stories and these points that end up getting you to the end of the of the special. And it's just, the way he does it is just art. It's unbelievable. And that's why he's my favorite. Um, right. And so I try to, I'm not trying to relate myself to him. I'm yeah. nowhere near that level. But that's what I try to focus on when I'm putting together a set is right. how can I go from one point, point A to point B? I mean, as an artist, that's something I find myself doing all the time. I don't like to compare myself to other people, but I like to see what they do really well. They say a, a great artist steals, right? Okay. Like I like to look at what other people who I aspire to be do and take influence from that. That's very smart. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Like I will watch... My favorite special of all time is mm-hmm. Mike Birbiglia, Thank God for Jokes. Okay. Um, and I've seen that thing maybe a hundred times. I've printed out the transcript. Wow. And just kind of like analyzed it, figure out like how, where he does his inflections, where he pauses and all that. Um, and it's just, it's just incredible. Uh, I have a card from my girlfriend mm-hmm. and it was, it's like a congratulations on your first paid gig. And on it has, she cut out pictures of John Mulaney and Mike Birbiglia and taped it on the thing and has like a drawing of it or of one of my jokes on the card. That's uh, awesome. And every, every day I look at it just to like, remember, like that's who we're trying to be. That's right. where we're aspiring, where we're aspiring to get to. And it is very helpful. I can tell you that I'll be sitting in traffic and I'll look at it and I'll just be like, this is where we're going. That's this is right. where we're going today. That's awesome. Yeah. There I go saying that's awesome again. <laughs> I was just telling Andrew before the show that I need to find other words other than saying that's awesome when someone's done talking. I might do a little competition and have someone count in the episode and whoever gets the right number oh, wins good. something. It's like one of those jelly bean jars. Yeah, like. exactly. How many times did BK say that's awesome today? That's good. <laughs> so you were saying John and Mike are your two like main influences? Yeah, John Mulaney and Mike Birbiglia. Definitely. I've seen all of their specials that I could have. I all I listened I mean I listen to everybody. I don't just listen to them, but those are definitely the two biggest ones. Was this like always a thing in the back of your head? No. So I actually my first comedy show I saw in eighth grade. I saw Mike Rabiglia uh, do his secret public journal tour. I saw in Eastern Connecticut State University uh, with RJ. Schofield. Oh, really? uh, Shout out to RJ. And his sister, Nikki. And it was just general admission. So, like, the first one in got their seats. We got there really early. We were in the front of the row. Felt, I'll never forget this. I feel, felt like the entire time he was, like, looking at me, uh, which is 
not true because you can barely see anything when you're on stage because right. of the lights. But um, it felt cool. And then I'd always listen to him in CDs and cars and stuff like that. But I never really thought about doing or trying to do comedy at all. And then even when I started doing theater in college, I was just like, this is a lot of fun. There's no way this would be a career or even a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards when I graduated, my aunt and uncle would always say, are you doing any any like theater or any performances at all after college? And I was like, probably not. I don't see that as being realistic. And I kept working and I just got like so bored. Mm-hmm. And then I recently applied for a job at Indeed, a different one, and I had got the position, but then something had fell through where they couldn't offer the position anymore. So they had okay. to shut it down. They couldn't offer it, and I was just, like, so bored. And I was just like, I don't really have any goals anymore into this job. Like, I have my quota, but, like, I've never missed my quota. It's just kind of, like, easy. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was talking to my buddy, and I was telling him a story, and he was like, you tell these stories really well. You're very good at kind of bringing in inflection, enticing people to listen to the story. You should try to do that in stand-up. And I was like, I don't know if I would ever do that. And then I went to another buddy's wedding, and I was like, I just discovered armchair experts. Okay. And I was like, I'm fascinated about how people get to point A to point B when they're celebrities. This is fascinating. And he was like, you know who I think would be a good story? You'd be a really good story. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I think you're you're just that outgoing personality. And I was like, okay. I agree. That's why you're here. Thank you. And then the guy who told me that I was really good at telling stories said to me one day, I will do an open mic if you do an open mic. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so we signed up for one on July 16th of this past year. And we got there, and he had told me that he had not signed up. Oh, no. So he just kind (laughs) of convinced me to go. And then on top of that, the venue that we booked the open mics at ended up being music-only open mic. So oh I was, the sh- yeah, there were like 20 acts. And then there was this, There was, I remember there was this, this guy and his band and they were doing, they did the first set. And then this, this woman did this like immaculate cover of, um, I, I can't think of the name. It was the first song I learned in music class. I think it was like, what's the song? It was like, uh, how many sands does a like sand walk down? Or he become I don't know. I don't okay. Know. Well, it was it was gorgeous. It was yeah. gorgeous. And then this schmuck comes up when I'm <laughs> doing jokes about like the Baja men and oh, like man. going to my boss's bachelor party, and it did not go well. But uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed <laughs> doing it. Still, I was embarrassed completely. I wanted to ask if you ever completely bombed a show. Oh yeah, that was a massacre. That was, ooh. My buddy Dave, who came with me, has it on has it on tape. Uh, and like when I got off the stage and I was like, that felt, felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Felt pretty good. I had one joke, the, I had one joke that landed and then everything else was just like brutal. And I remember like getting off and I was like, okay, let's still leave. I don't want people to know that I'm still here. <laughs> I'm watching it. I'm watching the video of it. And I'm like, this is 
awful. This is garbage. Oh, this is garbage. Um, but I signed up. But I was like, I, this is something I can improve on. This right. is easily fixable. I know where my mistakes are. If anything, it was a learning point to just take to the next. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And we, so we, then we signed up for another one uh, in Pleasantville, New York. And that went a little bit better. Uh, I reworked a lot of the jokes. I uh, worked on just stage presence, just being not looking awkward and right. looking like I want <laughs> right. to be there, um, which is half the battle. For no one sure. wants to be there if you don't want to be there. And that got a little bit better. And I just started getting a little bit, a little bit better. And conveniently, I found in Norwalk at our house, they do open mics every Wednesday. Okay. Um, so I started going there. I met a couple of people. Two of the people actually also work at Indeed. So I was able to oh, wow. meet Small them. World. Yeah. And so they were helping me out. And then, then I started maybe twice a month going into the city. And I would just do, I'd book a Saturday for myself and I'd set up four or five open mics. Okay. And I would just, I'd do the first open mic. I would take what worked, what didn't work. I would write it down and then I would rework it for the next open mic, which would be Mm -hmm. an hour and a half from there. So it was just like instant improvement, instant improvement. And that did amazing efforts for my set. Um, I learned, you know, one of the things I was doing wrong was, I had a lot of fat in my jokes, a lot of stuff that didn't matter. Uh, cut those out. Yeah, trim uh, it up a little bit. Yeah, and so now it's just a lot quicker of punchlines, joke to joke to joke, but still moving on with the story. And I, I love it. I'm so happy that I've been doing that, and it's definitely improving my set. You've done some competitions too, right? Yeah, so the last three shows that I've done, Our House does competitions every Thursday uh, in – they're the basement of our house. They're turning it into uh, a comedy club, ironically called The Basement, or coincidentally. And so the first one I did, I won. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... That's awesome. Oh, huge ego boost. There's another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was so... Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and I was, like, so nervous beforehand. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And there was a guy backstage with me who was going on after them me. And he was like, you're good. You're good. You're fine. You got a good set. Just own it. And I was like, okay. And I walk out stage and like all my nerves left. And I was just like, oh, we're about to own this. We're about to just crush this right now. I can already feel it. I love it. Um, and I did. And then I've done it two other times. The guy who was actually pumping me up backstage the first time won the second time. Nice. Uh, and we're both going to be on the show this Saturday uh, at our house, which is really cool. This Saturday is what? November 30th. Mm. We're going to air after that. so Okay, no <laughs> worries. But then, so last Thursday, I told like four people I work with about the competition on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And they told everybody I work with. Oh, man. So everybody I work with came and I thought I was going to be a lot more nervous. But after the past two shows, I was like, this set is consistent. We're right. good. We'll crush this one. And I did. And in no way I'm, am I saying I'm a great comedian, but there's definitely stuff that I need to learn and fix. And there's definitely things that I don't know mm-hmm. that I need to fix that I'll learn and need to improve on. Um, but we're getting there. We'll get there slowly and surely. We're going to keep on doing this. Right. So are you, are you taking any classes or anything? Or are you just kind of learning through trial and error? 
Great question. So I started out learning through trial and error, but I'm also not great at writing. So I decided I would take a like a writing class mm -hmm. at UCB in the city. So it's the United cool. Citizens Brigade. And it was like created by like Amy Poehler and some of her friends to like help build up people who want to try comedy or just wow. looking for something to do. Uh, and I know I'm a garbage writer. So <laughs> in general, so I took classes, I'm taking classes there. I took sketch comedy 101, and it just kind of helped me learn how to kind of map out things and create a sense of heightening mm -hmm. in, in a sketch and sketches are different than stand up, but there's definitely just tools in writing that are very transferable. Right. And then you have to bring in a sketch once. You have to write one sketch a week. Uh, every I've taken classes on Sunday. I have to bring in a sketch every Sunday. That just gets me writing. It forces me to write, which is good. Having a deadline right. is good. Uh, and now I'm taking Improv 101 okay. there. So Go back to the roots. Yeah, get back to the roots. Kind of get warmed up with chess being a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. uh, so if a joke doesn't go my way, I can, you know, pick myself back up and just right. kind of own something it. in there. Yeah. If you get, I mean, I don't know how often it is, get a heckler or something. I haven't gotten one yet, uh, fortunately. Um, I mean, I've only been doing it for a couple of months, three or four months. So there are definitely some to come. I can, right. I can only assume. But it's it's nice to be able to be warm and faster. And it's also like, Good for sales. So, like, I'm doing, I'm also in sales, so it's a transferable right. skill, uh, being able to just think a little bit quicker on your feet. Yeah. And That's something we like to talk about, too, on the show is how you can relate back between your job and your hobby and how they help each other. Yeah. So, I was, I actually just had this conversation with someone I work with. So, I, I have never missed my quota. Okay. Once. And... I tend to hit my quota with making significantly less calls than some of my coworkers. And so my coworker asked me, you know, how do you do this? Like that's, it seems improbable. Right. And I go, well, one of the things that I've been doing is, is stand up and being able to work with an audience of, you know, 75, 80 people makes, talking to one person and keeping them captivated for 10 minutes a lot easier. Right. So I tend to have a better success rate because or success percentage, because I am a lot more comfortable with telling a story to a client, mm -hmm. getting, finding a way to relate to them and keeping them captivating in me, as opposed to just say like, Hey, I'm calling to help you with a product. So you crack the code. Crack the code. It's comedy. Comedy sales. is always the code. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so everybody, if you want to be a good salesman, do comedy. <laughs> it's like it's as simple as that. Easy as that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I and mean, it is. I mean, just being on stage and just working with an audience. And I'm sure you know you know that too. Like, definitely, crowd work is important, and that's all sales is. It's just right. crowd work in a on a smaller basis. Yeah, and I've done this year. I've done probably eight shows nice good stuff and stuff from like audiences of five to i think the biggest was probably 
hundred, hundred fifty. Wow, good for you. That was at the um, Connecticut's Got Talent. Where and when is that? It was at the Wall Street Theater. Okay. I think it was the second or third year. I think they're doing it again next year. Okay, yeah, let me and know And it's cool, that. they do a separate, so like the comedians are, they perform with everybody else, but they're judged separately. Okay. So they had... Oh, that's way tougher. Well, no, it works because you have this like tear-jerking performance of someone singing a ballad, and then you have some guy talking about, <laughs> like, can't judge them the same way. Yeah. You know, it's like, they're going to win. That's... Oh, yeah. I just can't imagine opening at, or going up after a tear-jerking performance. Right. I was like, I don't watch a lot of America's Got Talent, but, like, I feel like if I were to watch America's Got Talent, I don't want to see the guy who's doing stand-up. I want to see the woman who's climbing a ladder with her hands again or something. Right. Like, you know, like <laughs> the guy with the outrageous talent. Yeah. Um, or the immaculate opera singer that you would never think to, to they would be. But... So to circle back, uh, saying that, bringing up these performances, because I definitely understand what you're saying, where you're coming from, interacting with the crowd. And like I said before, you have to get their attention. You have to make them like you. Yeah. And very similar in sales, you have to make them like or trust you. Exactly. So that they can want to do business with you. Yeah. Being being personable is important in most things, especially comedy and sales. Nobody wants to buy a product. They want to buy buy a person. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Definitely. Um, And it's just, it's important. I try to tell that to people. And even, like, just if you're making calls with a positive attitude, Mm -hmm. you're going to answer the phone, or they're going to answer the phone, and you're going to already have a positive attitude, as opposed to if you're making calls and you're just like, oh, here's another call. Like, they're going to read that through the phone. Yeah, definitely. It's infectious almost. Yeah. Like, when it comes to recording... I do a lot of audio engineering and stuff. You can hear, and it's super subtle, and it's something that you don't really notice, but you feel. You can hear when someone's smiling. You yeah. can hear when people are reading. So, like, right now, you can you can hear I'm smiling. It gets brighter. Yeah. It sounds different. It feels different. It feels warmer. So it's that same kind of thing, right? Yeah, 100%. And you'll, you'll see it at comedy shows, too. Like, people who tend to be doing the best are the people who are also laughing at their own jokes, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, people love to see that. That kind of relates to, like, magic, right? Yeah. If you believe it, they believe, they believe it. it. And it's the same thing with comedy. Absolutely. 100%. Like, if you believe that it's actually funny, they're probably going to also believe that. But if you're out there, you're just, like, throwing it out there, seeing if they laugh, it's going to be much harder to get that. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I can definitely... I can definitely attest to that. So where where do you want to go with this? You're doing great at your job. Yeah. Obviously, you're hitting your quota all the time. You're doing great with comedy. What is the end goal? Um, hmm. uh, I'll preface by saying there's so many different avenues in comedy. Yeah. Like, especially now with the internet and social media, Netflix. Like, you could have a Netflix special. You could write a movie. You could just be a... Instagram comedian and make tons of money. It's insane. Yeah. So there's so many options. Where do you see yourself? Do you want to be the next Mike Birbiglia? Do you want like where <laughs> where do you want to go with this? Um, good question. Uh, I have I've definitely given it thought. I haven't been doing it for too long. So if I could, I think what I would like to do is have like one 
cool special or one like really big show mm-hmm. and then write for someone. Okay. Or maybe just do a little bit of both right. if I, if that's an option. Like As in writing for other like stand-up comedians no. or write like scripts and all that? Write for like a show. Like okay. if I could be on like in like a writer's room uh-huh. for, like a, for like, a, like a show, like a sitcom or something, like right. that just seems so cool. It's just because you're just sitting in a room telling jokes with your friends, right? Like that's, yeah, I mean, you have to take it, obviously you have to take it seriously. I mean, taking comedy seriously is a funny, funny <laughs> phrase. <laughs> it is. But uh, I don't think I could write for somebody else who's doing stand-up because that I have too big of an ego. Okay. Where, like, if someone is telling my joke on stage, I'm like, oh, that motherfucker. Uh, that. <laughs> it's cool, you can say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, like, writing on a show seems a lot more, a lot more like camaraderie, right? It's more of like a team aspect. Mm-hmm. I have, I pitch my jokes to my friends all the time. And right. I, you know, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I've had friends who give me ideas and lines, tips, and things I should probably tinker with. One of my friends gave me a line that is, one of my favorite lines in one of my jokes, and that's in, that's in my set. But I am, I don't have that ability. I can, if we're all getting credit, mm-hmm. fine. But if I'm not getting any credit, I, I lose my mind. I get it. I've done some ghostwriting and songwriting for other people, and I definitely can see where like the ego comes into it. So it's like, no, that's mine. Like I want to show that to everybody. Yeah, like if if someone's writing a joke, mm-hmm. I have no problem giving them advice on that joke um, that they've created. I'm just giving them advice, I guess. Uh But for me to write out an entire story, an entire, you know, minute and a half, two minute bit, and then someone to take it and go on stage, no way. No way. So script writing, do you see that being like, you said sitcoms, do you see like films, anything like that happening? Like circling back to the Seth Rogen podcast I listened to today. Okay. Super bad is literally the story of him and his best friends in high school. Like that comes from a true story. I mean, obviously they change yeah. stuff up to make it more of a comedy, but do you see yourself taking life experience and turning that into some sort of film or work? I don't know about that. Like I take... All my jokes, or most of my jokes, mm-hmm. tend to come from true stories or life right. experience. And I'm just kind of just telling stories on stage with a, just an efficient manner. When it comes to... I've never actually written anything longer than a four-page sketch. Okay. So I couldn't tell you that exactly. I've been brainstorming a pilot with a buddy. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, we'll sit around, we'll drink a bit, and we'll, you know, like, plan out these characters that we have. Right. And from where it started to where it is, we don't have anything on... We don't have, like, a script ready, but we kind of have, like, a mapping of what we want to do. But I always, but the fact that it's, like, changed so much from, like, what our original ideas of it was going to be to what it is now, I could definitely see, like, starting out to write a pilot and then just keep running with it, and it ends up being an hour and a half. Yeah. But I don't think I have actual, an actual plan of a movie or sitcom. Okay. At least an original one. Right. Cool. Now, I just wanted to ask, just seeing, like, where you want to go with it. Yeah, the direction you want to take. I think I, I think I just like writing for shows more. It seems one. It's probably safer. Uh, you know, if a movie bombs, movie bombs. Whereas a show, I mean, you have a little bit more of a lifespan. I just. It's also with a movie, and I don't have any personal experience with this. It seems like it's just one. It's one long idea, and you're just kind of writing jokes for the whole long idea. There's obviously different scenes and things like that. But where like, there's a show, you have all these different episodes, which are all these different plot points where you're making jokes 
working with new ideas on every every single one. And I that just seems more fun to me. It just right. seems a little bit less a little bit more of a of not I mean, like not the same day to day. Yeah. And both sound if I if someone came up to me and was like, Hey, you wanna write for hey, this movie? Yeah, I'd be like, right. Hell yeah. <laughs> but just the show aspect just seems a lot more fun. I'd like to do that at some point. That's kinda why I'm taking these U C B classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one to network with people who might know a way in, uh, right. and two just get way better at it. Yeah. It's definitely a good way in the networking for sure. Yeah. So a lot of comedians will tell you that they were writing for like talk shows mm-hmm. like Jimmy Fallon, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, Stephen Colbert. And that seems interesting to me, not from like, that's like something that I would be looking to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, if it was offered, I'd take it. Right. But I don't know anything about politics. Okay. Or like pop culture. Like I know pop culture, but not like, I don't follow, I don't watch E or right. anything. <laughs> right. um, so I feel like that would be significantly harder because you have to pull every day, you have to pull out information from the news, which probably a thousand other people who are doing the same job mm-hmm. are pulling up the same jokes and the same information that they've gotten. Yeah. And, and you really have to like live in that atmosphere i feel yeah and i feel like the world is so negative mm-hmm. sometimes like politics just like splits the divides the country you know like people are fascinated about ellen DeGeneres, but not like the person next to him that's kind of why i like shows movies and stand up you're kind of generating this humor out of thin air you know you're trying to create this environment that everybody can enjoy mm-hmm. everybody can share and talk about right. um like, when's the last time you heard someone be like, oh, no, you like Step Brothers? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I want to hang out with you. <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's hilarious. You know? But, you know, someone will be like, oh, you voted for Hillary. Get the get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. I don't want to talk to you. Like, Right. No, I, I definitely understand that. And I can see that being the less appealing trajectory. Yeah. You know? So, I know you yourself are somewhat new to this, but... Give advice for anybody starting out or that wants to get into comedy at all. Just do it. Just do it. To be honest, like what a lot of people do is they'll they get really nervous to go on stage. They say they can't do this. Um, I'm gonna be bad. Guess what? A lot of people have been doing it for a year. Still pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that right now. But you're not gonna get better until you start doing it. And I've heard I've heard a lot of people say this. They took stand up classes, but they didn't really learn anything. All it did was it got them on the stage, which is fine. That gets you to do it. That gets you to do it. Right. I'm taking these UCB classes just as a way to consistently get me to write, like hold myself to a deadline. But if you think that you want to do it, or you think that it doesn't need to be an occupation, it could just be something fun you're doing, just get on stage, tell jokes, bomb a couple times, and then start getting more confident and just running your running your better jokes. Yeah. I mean, this show is all about people who have these things outside of work. So it's not necessarily an occupation. It may be something they dream of turning into an occupation one day. Yeah. But it's all about finding that happiness and joy in your time off. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm so much more fun of a person since I've been, like, doing creative stuff again. Right. Like, I worked for, right out of college, I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car for two years. Miserable. Great experience, career-wise. Yeah. Uh, definitely learned a lot. Definitely got gained a lot of patience. But, like, I was working from 6 in the morning to 7 at night and just, like, dealing with the most angry people. Then I worked for this data marketing company that I was just, like, punching numbers away into an Excel sheet. Done it. Oh, That's yeah. terrible. And, and, like, going from 
doing improv and doing theater and doing track and doing all these creative things. Well, track's not creative, but like it de-stresses you, gives you a clear mind to think of all these creative things. Right. And I just felt like I had lost that fun part of myself. And now that I'm doing it again, I'm just like so much more confident again, so much happier. Just like gears in my head are turning all the time. I have a notebook that I keep on myself just because I like writing ideas down right. better than just typing them. And no, I agree with that. I got one in my bag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's great. I forgot where I was going. I just kind of rambled off. Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just talking about how it's important to have those things outside of work to help keep the fire lit and keep yeah. you passionate. And, like, yeah. And, like, so now that I'm doing it again, I find myself, like, socializing more. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, I'd go to family events and I'd go to, you know, my girlfriend's family events. and I kind of just keep to myself and I'd be like, yeah, you know, like I don't want to make anybody upset. I don't want to be rude to anybody by accident or something. And now I'm just like, fuck it. Like, let's yeah. have fun. Like if I can convince 80 people to like me on a stage, I can convince these people to like me. And it just leads to more fun when you go out and when you're in those awkward situations. I right. bet you Thanksgiving this year is going to be my best Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, just Definitely. I'm Try out some new material. Yeah. Pick yeah. up some new material. Like. Oh, yeah. The weird uncle and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of helps you, like, stay in the moment. Yeah. He's talking about it. I think it was Arm to Arm to Experts. I'm trying to think who was. Wow. This episode was sponsored by Dak Shepard. Just kidding. (laughs) There's an employee of the month with Dane Cook and Dak Shepard. Um, (laughs) No, but, uh, like, they were talking about, like, emotional intelligence and, like, how when you do these creative things, you tend to learn little bit more what people enjoy about the creative part what mm-hmm. they don't right. and you just kind of become more emotionally intelligent emotionally aware which is super important yeah absolutely awesome dude this has been so much fun oh i've like, had a blast yeah. i can talk about comedy for and myself for <laughs> days so i love it and it's it's good practice so thank you again for coming and talking yeah, um, if people want to reach out to you they want to find out about your shows how can they do that i'm on twitter okay uh and facebook so my Twitter handle, I'm at Andrew Genario one G-E-N-U-A-R-I-O. My name is Miles Finch. Okay. Uh, so I should probably change that so you can <laughs> find me. He's the author from Elf. Oh. He's Peter right. Dinklage's yeah, yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. And then Facebook, I'm just Andrew Genario. And then I have two, actually, auditions city for comedy clubs, which is nice. sweet. December 3rd, I have an audition at... Gotham Comedy Club, okay. where they do Roast Battle, which is cool. Cool. And then February 8th, I have an audition at Broadway Comedy Club. That's in front of 300 people, nice. which is terrifying. Yeah. All right, cool. Guys, I will put that in the bio of this episode so that you can find Andrew. Feel free to reach out. If you have any questions about comedy or if you want to go see a show, definitely check him out. And if you guys are interested in being a guest on our show or you want to learn more about us, you could follow us at the Time Off Podcast on Instagram. Shoot us a DM. Let us know what you're interested in. Maybe you could come on the show and join. This show is produced by Sono Entertainment and Recording Studios. We have an awesome podcast set up here. If you're interested in starting a podcast or you've ever thought about it, definitely come check it out. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Enjoy your time off.